Um, there's a beautiful picture on the front of the bulletin. It's um, in Georgia, not Georgia, America, but Georgia, the, the country in Europe. Um, and that, what you see there is a pinnacle. It's in a, uh, a national, well, it's not in a national park, in a very heavily forested area. And this pinnacle is huge. And on the top of it, this just pinnacle of rock, there lives a monk. Now, this monk lives there. He comes down twice a week. He climbs down. It takes him 20 minutes to climb down the ladder. He comes down twice a week to pray with his followers at the base of the pinnacle. Apart from that, he spends all of his time up at the top because he wants to be closer to God. I don't think the height, I don't know why the height thing goes in there, but, but he wants to be alone. He wants to be a hermit. He wants to be close to God. Hmm. Interesting. I'd love to visit him just because it looks like a cool spot. But the photographer who took the photo, and there's uh, the website down the side there, had to spend two days in prayer before he was allowed to come up. Which doesn't sound too bad, but at least seven hours a day, including from 2 a.m. to sunrise. Um, Problem with that, it's not so much speaking to God as doing a duty, which is very, very sad. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that you are here with us. We don't have to climb up a mountain to reach you, Lord. You came down from heaven. You stepped down and met with us because you love us and you want us to be like you. Lord, please help us to to understand you, to follow you well. Lord, may we be good children, good servants. Make us more into your image, we pray. Lord, speak to us this morning. I pray even that you would use the words from, from these lips. By your Spirit, Father, use it to glorify your Son and to glorify your name. Help us to know you better. Change us, we pray. Amen. So we're continuing today um, our series um, in Timothy, which we skipped a little. You look very concerned, friend. There is someone coughing next door. Ah, um, We're continuing our look through Timothy. We've done Timothy 1. We've done Timothy 2. We were going to do Timothy 3, and I said, no, let's skip it. Um, we will do Timothy 3 again at some point. Timothy 3 is a chapter focusing on leaders in the church. Um, what do you need to be an elder? What do you need to be a deacon? Uh, why it's important to have people of those characteristics. It's actually a fantastic uh, chapter. But we're going to skip that. We're going to go straight to chapter 4, and we're going to do the first 10 verses today. Uh, read with me if you've got your Bibles or on the screen. <clears throat> now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it. But receive it with thanks, for we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, 
You will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, who's an old wife, by the way? (laughs) Because I won't be speaking to you anymore. (laughs) Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourselves to be yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope is in the living God who is the savior of all people and particularly of all believers. So we've got an issue here in the church in Ephesus. Remember, Paul has uh, sent Timothy to Ephesus. His job there is to appoint elders, to sort of look after the church, to make sure that the church steps forward and grows and, and, and doesn't fall into heresy. And there's a big problem because there are teachers coming into the church in Ephesus saying, you know, you really should be doing this. You really shouldn't be doing this. By the way, Jesus isn't enough. You have to do this as well. We'll see if you read on in chapter 4. The other issue is that the false teachers were coming up and going, come on, you're really going to listen to Timothy? He's like 30. Don't listen to a 30-year-old. I'm 52. I've got much more experience. God wants you to do this. This is the kind of stuff that Timothy is dealing with in the church in Ephesus. False teachers leading the church, leading Christians away from Jesus. So the issue is that people are abandoning the faith and embracing falsehood. Paul says right at the top, verse 1, he says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times some will turn away from the true faith. So Paul right at the top says to us, In the last times there will be those who are in the church who leave the church. And even more dramatically, there are those in the church who belong to Jesus who will leave Jesus. What does he mean when he says in the last times? Is this something that that we've got to keep an eye out because when it starts happening, that's when the last times are coming and, and Jesus is almost close when people start leaving the church? Well, I think if, if you read through just the first five or six verses, um, Paul does something interesting in the original, perhaps not in this translation. He slips from future tense into present tense. In other words, for Paul, the last times have already begun. And in fact, he's writing to Timothy, he's writing about these, these, these last times and the issues that are happening because they are actually happening to Timothy in Ephesus. There actually are people in that church who are going around, leaders of the church, and telling people, you need to do more than trust in Jesus for your salvation. You need to do more than trust and believe on Jesus in order to be saved. This was real stuff for Timothy. Paul's not writing Timothy one day, 2,000 plus years from now. No, he's saying this is, this is what's happening. The last times, Timothy, is now. 
The last times is the time between the coming of Jesus and the return of Jesus. We are in the last times because, because when Jesus comes back, there will be an end and a renewing of all things. And that has already started because Jesus, the Messiah, has already come. Paul says, the Spirit tells us clearly that in these times, in these days, today, the Spirit tells us clearly that there are those who will turn away from the true faith. Now you might be saying, okay, thanks Paul, where does the Spirit clearly tell us that people will leave the true faith? Well, there's a few places, um, quite a few places. But let's just think of, of four. Acts chapter 20, which is actually Paul saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders on his way back to Jerusalem. And one of the things that he does in his long farewell speech to them uh, in verses 17 to 35, Paul says to the, the elders of the church in Ephesus, you guys have got to watch out because there are going to be people who will come in amongst you and try and lead people away from Jesus. The Spirit inspiring Paul as he said that. Jesus, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me quickly to, to Mark chapter 13, verse 22. Jesus um, says over there, False messiahs and false prophets will rise up and will perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out. I have warned you about this ahead of time. Jesus, the Son of God, filled with the Spirit of God, warns that this was about to happen. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, uh, the, the letters to the seven churches. Fantastic reading. But if you read there, there's one address to the church in Ephesus, the church that Timothy is in. And one of the things that is mentioned there, it's predicted uh, that they will oppose the false prophets. In other words, there were false prophets there. Um, the Spirit also, I think, is inspiring Paul as he writes this. The Spirit clearly tells us, says Paul as he writes, I know in my heart because God has made it clear to me that there are false teachers and that there will be false teachers. And he says these false teachers will come in and they will abandon the true faith. What does it mean to abandon the true faith? Does it mean not coming to church every Sunday? Does it mean not going to Bible study? Does it mean not agreeing 100% with the person next to you? It means, I, I think, not holding on to the truth of God. It means either adding to or subtracting from the gospel in order to make it more palatable for us. We can add to the gospel and say, you know what, you, you really need to read your Bible every day. You have to come to church every week. You have to go to Bible study. You have to believe exactly what I believe um, in order to be saved. And we're adding to the gospel and... and, and and I think something of, of humanity in us likes that because we like having rules and boundaries 
And oh, if, if I only do that, if I only follow all these rules, then God's going to be really happy with me because I know in real life, if I follow all the rules, people are happy with me. If I do what my boss tells me to do, then my boss is happy with me and I might get a promotion. Oh, if I follow God and do enough of this stuff, then I might get a promotion to heaven one day. See, we, we can add to the gospel like that. Or we can subtract from the gospel. We can say, yes, Jesus calls us to follow him, but, but you know what? You've you got you to gotta take that a little bit less seriously, my friends. You've got you to follow Jesus, but, but that doesn't mean you can't do what you want to do. Yes, follow Jesus, but you know what? You can, you can go and you can swear yourself silly if you want, because Jesus doesn't mind. You can go and, and you can date non-Christians. Not if you're married. Some people might say you can do that even if you're married. (laughs) You see, we're very good at saying, you know what, I don't like that little bit of what God says, and so I'm going to ignore it. Uh, One of the big ones, and I don't want to focus on it, but one of the big ones is homosexuality, where there's a movement in some churches saying, well, God doesn't actually require us to obey him when he says husband and wife. And we, God loves everyone. And so we'll ignore that bit about what the gospel says. You, you see the danger of what is happening here? This, this is what abandoning the faith is. It's not, it doesn't start with coming into church one morning and saying, I reject everything. It starts with coming into one morning and saying, I reject that that is everything. Or I reject that that has to be everything. And so uh, there's a slow fade. You never just go from, from white to black. There's always gray in between. Abandoning the faith is not something that happens accidentally either. Um, the word there is, is actually more along the lines of renounce. So Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Timothy, in these last days, in this era in which we find ourselves, there will be those who look And say, I reject that that is God's ultimate truth for my life. And I will stand as judge and jury over what I accept of the gospel. I renounce God as king, in effect. Why would people renounce the faith? We'll come back next week and we'll talk about that. (laughs) We're going to move on. Right now, why would people renounce their faith and become false teachers? Which is the big issue over here. Paul says here that they, they follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. That these people are hypocrites and liars. That their consciences, I can never say that word, are dead. If you've got another translation, you might read that their consciences are seared. This is more, says Paul here in the first few verses of chapter 4, more than just a human thing. I think what we have to remember, and, and us in the Western world, we're not that good at remembering it, is that we are involved in more than just a human enterprise here. When we stand and, and we come together as God's people, there is a spiritual battlefront that is drawn. We are standing here 
as God's people. And when false teachers come in, it is not just a human going, oh, I don't agree. Uh, says Paul here, there's actually a spiritual dimension to that. And so what he says here is that it starts, the, the false teachers, it starts with deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Uh, the Bible shows that, that Satan, the devil, is, is not only a tempter, tempting us to do wrong, but also a deceiver. He entices us to do wrong, but, but he also seduces us to do wrong. Jesus called him in uh, John chapter 8, a liar and the father of lies. And if this is true, that we are in a spiritual battle here, then it sort of helps us understand how it is that intelligent, educated people can swallow some of the tripe that is put out there. There are educated, intelligent people who listen to false teachers and celebrate it. Like there are so many false teachings out there, but, but let's think about prosperity uh, doctrine. That's, that's where people say, if you do enough for God, you follow all the rules, remember that, do all the rules, keep the boundaries. If you do enough, then God will bless you financially. And there are massive churches that follow that teaching. There's, there's massive uh, famous people. Um, uh, stop me if you know any of these people. Joel Olstein, Joyce Myers. Big names in America and in Australia. Teaching stuff like that. And they have a huge following. There's other false teachers. People who say, you know what, God just loves you no matter what and everyone will be saved. Don't worry, you don't have to believe in Jesus because it will all come out in the wash at the end. Rob Bell ended up going that way if you know Rob Bell. And it all starts, says Paul, with the deception of the spirits. And intelligent people listen to it. And instead of seeing it for the falsehood in which it is, they accept it. They are deluded. They are bewitched. They are blinded. The God of this age has blinded their eyes to the truth. So it starts with these evil spirits, but, but it continues with with human agents. Humans follow deceiving spirits. Have a look there in verse 2. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. How do the, the demons, how do these spirits influence uh, people? Well, they do it via human agents. Uh, literally via the hypocrisy of liars. Hypocrisy is a, a deliberate deception. What Paul is saying here is that these false teachers aren't accidentally saying the wrong thing. Now, I have accidentally said the wrong thing on times. I have said stuff. I've preached stuff up the front, hopefully not too often. But it has happened that I've said something and afterwards I've said, you know what, that was wrong. I don't think that's right. Often it will happen three or four years down the track. Um, it, it happened the other day. I was reading through a sermon that I wrote on Revelation. And I said, Oh, this is interesting. I don't agree with it anymore. Now, 
I don't think that makes me a false teacher. The, the difference there is a false teacher says, I don't believe this. In fact, I know that God says something different, but I'm going to go down this line. I'm going to tell this for my benefit and for my power. These people are seduced by evil spirits, yes, and, and deceiving spirits, but they in turn intentionally deceive. They don't actually believe what they are teaching. Why would they deliberately lie like that? Well, there is a third cause, a tertiary cause, and that is moral. They do it because their consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now, the word there, seared or dead in the New Living Translation, um, you, you can translate it to mean branding with a hot iron. You know, like you get a, a cow and you stick a brand on it. Um, but it can also mean, and in fact, this is where we get the word from, it can mean cauterize. Kautoritzo, something like that in the Greek. Um, Paul says that these people's consciences have been cauterized. And when you cauterize something, what, what happens? It, it seals off. Uh, it deadens it. Uh, and so when you cauterize a conscience, you apply heat to the conscience and it's, it's like the nerves go dead. It no longer feels as it should. How do you cauterize a conscience? Neglect is one way, but there's an even easier way. Cauterize, you don't neglectfully put a, a brand onto your skin. You tend not, unless you're really stupid, you don't brand yourself neglectfully. When you cauterize your conscience, Hendrickson says that you do it by constantly arguing with your conscience. You stifle its warnings, you muffle its bell, you smother its voice, and eventually it is silenced. You do something, your conscience says, you know, that's not the right thing to do. You go, I'm doing it anyway. You do it again, your conscience says a little bit quieter, I'm not the right, I'm doing it anyway. Third time, don't do that. I'm doing it anyway. Every time you, you override your conscience, it, it kind of gets easier to override it. Have, has anybody ever experienced that? Are you all godly? <laughs> I've experienced that. Isn't it true that, that the more you go against your conscience, the easier it is? And one of the great gifts of God by His Spirit is that He reawakens consciences and allows us to, to be challenged again. So what's, what's happening here? Well, these false teachers turned a deaf ear to their consciences. Yes, Eric? Can you undo it? Can, can you undo a cauterized conscience? You can't, no. I, I think God can. In fact, I think that's one of the great mysteries of the faith. When, when people become Christians who have not been Christians forever, and even Christians who have been Christians forever, is that God by His Spirit comes in and awakens our conscience. I think that's one of the things that the Spirit does. He, he awakens us to the presence of sin in our lives. 
and, and he, it's like a, a megaphone to that conscience. And, God's, and our conscience is whispering, hey, you shouldn't have done that. And God says, yes, that wasn't right. But I forgive you. Now stop it and follow me. And, and I think that's, that's the difference. Where, where conscience is seared, the spirit comes in and speaks in its place. Until it comes back to health and life. It's not, Yeah, it is. Exactly. Exactly. We're going to come to that in a minute. That's exactly the point. Habit is really important here. These people have got into the habit of ignoring their consciences to the point where they can teach what they want to and deliberately lie to others because, you know what, it's not such a big deal for me anymore. And so I'm willing to, to drive you away because I have decided that it's not a big deal. This is what's happening. You know, it, it's easy to shipwreck your faith. Uh, back in Timothy 1, verse 19 and 20, we read that um, some people have deliberately violated their consciences, and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. It was happening back then. It happens today still. Um, the conscience that God has given us is an amazing gift because it helps us to follow God when it is informed by the Bible. Let's move on. So this is the basics that Paul has given us. There are false teachers. They, their consciences are cauterized. They're inspired by demons and they are leading people astray. And, and he goes on and he says, yeah, okay, Timothy, in Ephesus, we've got uh, two examples that I want to just quickly focus on. Um, you've got these false teachers coming into the church telling everyone, hey, don't get married. If you get married, you're not godly. Because marriage involves all that other stuff. And bodies are bad. And really, you want to be spiritual. And other people saying, oh, no, no, Christians. Oh, no, you're eating Bacon for breakfast, how dare you? And we have a little giggle at that. But you know what, if you go on the YouTube, you can type in Joel Olstein pork. And there is a large megachurch pastor in the US today speaking for 30 minutes about how Christians should not eat bacon. Or shellfish. It's not just a historical problem, this. What about the guy on the, the cover of the bulletin? Eschewing life with people. Living by himself. So that he can be closer to God. How do we deal with people who come into the church? You know what? How do we understand whether someone is teaching the truth or drawing us away from God. Because we all have a responsibility to, to, to uh, analyze and assess what is being said. We're not just here to listen and blindly accept. <clears throat> we are here to listen and to assess. And if I say something that you think is, is heretical, you, you should come up and tell me. And if someone comes up the front and says something, and we've got a visiting speaker, we don't blindly accept them, do we? 
No, we have to assess it. And, and I think Paul says here to Timothy, he says, uh, in the life in the last times, in this era, we have to think theologically. When confronted with any teaching, and, and the inf- examples here are don't get married and don't eat certain foods, but any teaching that confronts us, we have to look at it theologically. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I'm not a theologian, Nick, I'm just a Christian. Well, I'm sorry if you're a Christian, you're a theologian. A theologian is someone who studies God. And it's difficult to study God because God is God. But, but a theologian ultimately is someone who wants to know God and wants to follow God. And all you do when you do theology is you think, well, what has God actually said in the past? Because if we know one thing, it's we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if he said something then, he's not going to turn around and change it over here. We've got to be careful that we read it properly as well. Because God said, perhaps in the Old Testament, in fact he did, he said, don't eat pork in the Old Testament. And then Jesus came and said, yes, and now that era has all been done in me. So we've got to read, not just in isolation the text, we have to read the whole of the Bible together. Paul actually does a pretty good job of this here when it comes to eating food. He doesn't even go to the law. He goes further back than the law which said don't eat certain stuff. Paul goes right the way back to Genesis. If you read Genesis, um, there's a repeated phrase there that says God looked at his creation and he saw that it was good. Day two, he saw that it was good. Day three, it was good. Day four, good. Day five, any guesses? Good. Day six, day seven, even better. Excellent. (laughs) Paul says, everything that God made is good. He says it right there in verse 4. Everything God created is good. And, And so if everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but we should receive it with thanks. And he he clinches the argument in verse 5. He says, we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and by prayer. Jesus himself said that it's not what goes into us that makes us unclean, but it's what comes out of us, what comes out of our heart that, that makes us unclean. Marriage and, and certain foods which these false teachers in Ephesus were forbidding are gifts from God, says Paul here. They were created by God to be received with thanksgiving by those who know the truth. And the principle that Paul raises from Genesis, he says, well, how can one despise, how can one forbid what God has instituted? How can you say don't get married? If you go back to Genesis, just after the food bit, God says, and I made man and woman, and I put them together, and, and we've got the first marriage there in Genesis. Okay, and, and then how can you go from that and go, yes, God did that back then, but actually it's bad. It just doesn't work. How can we say that, that we're not allowed to eat this when God made it? didn't make it all but then at the end he said you may now eat them and then Jesus came and said nothing is unclean well I think just to be safe if you give your bacon to me 
Then <laughs> We're not going to focus on the food stuff here, but the point that Paul does here is he says, right, this is the issue. Let's go back in the Bible and see actually what God says. Don't just accept what these teachers say. Think about it through the lens of all that God has revealed through the Bible. He goes on in verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. He says, who are we supposed to listen to? He's speaking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, if, if you're going to be a faithful teacher, you're going to be a good minister, a good servant of Jesus. What is it that makes you a good teacher, a good servant? Well, it's the good teaching. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, you are to both instruct others in the good teaching about Jesus and you are to nourish yourself on the good teaching. Behind good teaching lies good learning. Behind good teaching lies good learning. Those who learn best teach best. You know, it's very easy to get up the front and preach without having opened a Bible for the whole week. It's easy to do something like that. But how much richer is it not when someone has been nourishing themselves and it's not just surface level stuff that comes off on a Sunday morning but, but you, can, you can almost sense a deepness, can't you? When someone is intimately been nourishing themselves in God it comes off in a different way when they teach others about God. It's, it's sometimes easy to spot when people are neglecting their own spiritual health. And that's a challenge for all of us. It's a challenge especially for me on a Sunday. Um, Eugene Peterson, the guy who translated the message, uh, he had a famous saying. He said, the thing that my church needs the most is my own personal holiness. He wasn't saying, because I'm super. No, he was saying, because, because God's word flows through me. And as it is nourishing me, I pick up things and gems that I can share with you. So who should we listen to? Well, if someone doesn't ever read their Bible, we probably shouldn't let them speak on a Sunday. We probably shouldn't listen to what they say. You can also spot this because there are quite a few of these megachurch pastors, false teachers in the world today. And we've got to be aware of that because people today listen to them over the internet or, or via audiobooks or via books. You, you got to, sometimes you can listen to a whole sermon and they don't open the Bible. Yes, you will be nourished by my words. Forget God's words. No, if, if you're going to nourish, you need true Food. You need true nourishment. You don't need junk food. What is junk food? Myths and old wives' tales. Men, your old tales are probably junk food as well. Paul goes on. He says over there, instead of stuffing yourself with the chip packet of old myths, Fill yourself 
with the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. You see, and this is where habit comes in. We're almost done here. Physical training, says Paul, is a good idea. Because it's got fantastic benefits. I mean, look at me. I need some physical training. (laughs) You can tell when someone has been training and when someone hasn't. Physical training is good. But, says Paul, training for godliness is even better. Because it's it goes beyond this life and into eternity. Now we tend to think perhaps that godliness is something that, that's passive. Oh, I'm just in God's presence. Oh, it's so nice. And there is something of that. But, but Paul wants us to train in physical godliness. To undertake spiritual gymnastics. Now, quite irritatingly, he doesn't actually go into details about what sort of spiritual gymnastics he wants us to undertake here. But, but I, I think we can draw something from the context here because he switches from that idea of nourishment to the idea of training. And, and perhaps we are to exercise in the same way that we are to nourish ourselves. In, in other words, we nourish ourselves how? By the message of faith and the good teaching we have followed. How do we have the message of faith and the good teaching? Well, we read it in the Bible. How are we to train ourselves? We are to train ourselves by spending time in the Word of God, by spending time with God. This is, I think, key to Christian health and growth and godliness. If, if we don't ever spend time with God, how will we grow to be more like Him? You know, character actors, sometimes when they need to take on a part, they'll find the person who they will be acting, And they will shadow them for three weeks so that they get the idea of their mannerisms and how they think and how they speak. And and it's only by spending time with them that they are able to emulate them believably. Now, it's not about us doing a good job of copying what God looks like. but, But it is about us being transformed into the likeness of God. And how, how are we going to strive for godliness if we never spend time with God? If we never set the Lord always before us? You see, there, there is such a thing as a healthy, nutritious teaching. And unlike health food in this world, it's actually tasty. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus called himself the living bread and the living water. You know what? Those who go into training for godliness, true godliness, will have an appetite for Jesus. How do we live in these last times? Well, there will be people who try and say that we need to think this way or 
add this to Jesus or not focus on that bit because it doesn't apply so much. How do we live in these last days? By spending time with Christ. Because when we spend time with Him and we get to know Him and we get to understand the fullness of all that He has showed of the Father, we can see when someone is speaking the truth or not. If we follow Jesus and we know him intimately, we can tell if someone is telling lies about him. If Joe Bloggs sitting next to Graham over there, Graham came up to me and said, you know what, Nick? Joe Bloggs over there is a mass murderer three times over. And he tells us that we should we should all go and kill someone this afternoon. Hopefully I wouldn't believe you completely, but, but if you came to me and said, you know what, Nick, that Taryn over there is a mass murderer three times over, and she says that we should all go kill someone this afternoon, I'd look at you and go, I know her. She would never say anything like that. That's how we respond to falsehood in the church today. Notice Paul doesn't say, Timothy, attack! No, he says, Timothy, know Jesus and God and the message better. Challenge you. Challenge me. God's not going to love you better if you know him better. God loves you 100%. But if we love God, don't we want to know him better? Glennis. Well, I certainly needed that this morning and uh, I hope everyone else got something out of it. We're just going to have our final song, um, Build Your Kingdom Here. again increase in us we pray unveil why we're made come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls holy spirit come invade us now we are your church we need your power in us we see your kingdom first we hunger and we thirst refuse to waste our lives for your our joy and prize to see the captives hearts release the hurt the sick the poor at peace we lay down our lives for heaven's cause we are your church we 
pray, revive this earth. Build your kingdom here, let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand, heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire, win this nation back. Change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here, we pray. Unleash your kingdom's power, reaching the near and far. No force of hell can stop your beauty changing hearts. You made us for much more than this. Awake the kingdom seed in us. Fill us with the strength and love of Christ. We are your church. We are the hope on earth. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire. Win this nation back, change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here, we pray. Just going to leave you with the benediction. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who is alone, uh, who alone is God our Saviour through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Um, Please uh, stay and have a cuppa together out there and uh, get to know each other a little bit better.